The Poems in Alice in Wonderland. An essay by Florence Milner. Published in The Bookman, Volume 18, September 1903. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Poems in Alice in Wonderland Fifty years ago the child world was made glad by the appearance of Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. It is a universal story, and so belongs to all time. It has never gone out of fashion, and never will, as long as children love wonder-stories, and grown-ups have young hearts. But those who read the book when it was first published found in it a delight which the child of to-day misses. Fifty years ago certain poems appeared in every reader, and were read over and over again, until the child was stupid indeed who did not unconsciously learn them by heart. Today there is a new fashion in literature. Children are whirled from one supplementary reader to another, conning graceful rhymes and pretty stories, all illustrated with artistic pictures, but the old things have passed away. All the poems in Alice in Wonderland are parodies upon these once familiar rhymes. Scattered lines of the poems cling to the minds of older people, they remember being once familiar with them, they recognize the meter, and can sometimes repeat two or three opening lines, but the complete poem eludes them, and the author they probably never did know. The children of to-day do not know the verses at all, and as a parody ceases to be a parody without the original poem as a background, the trouble of gathering these originals seems worthwhile. After Alice had fallen down the rabbit-hole, and had passed through her first transformation, when she shut up like a telescope, until she was only ten inches high, and then grew bigger and bigger until her head struck the roof of the hall, she became confused as to her identity. To make sure of it she tried to repeat a little poem, which everybody in those days knew by heart, and to such children it was very funny when it came all wrong, and she says— how doth the little crocodile improve his shining tail? When she thought she was repeating that highly moral poem by Isaac Watts, Against Idleness and Mischief. How doth the little busy bee improve each shining hour, and gather honey all the day from every opening flower? How skilfully she builds her cell, how neat she spreads the wax, and labours hard to store it well with the sweet food she makes. In works of labour or of skill I would be busy too, for Satan finds some mischief still for idle hands to do. In books or work or healthful play let my first years be past, that I may give for every day some good account at last. Again, in her conversation with the caterpillar, Alice told him that being so many different sizes in a day was very confusing, as he would find when he changed into a chrysalis, and then into a butterfly. She confessed that she could not remember things, and told her experience with, How doth the little busy bee? The caterpillar, wishing to test the matter, ordered her to say, You are old, Father William. How well she succeeded will appear from comparing what she said with what she thought she was going to say. THE OLD MAN'S COMFORTS, AND HOW HE GAINED THEM 
"'You are old, Father William,' the young man cried. "'The few locks that are left you are grey. "'You are hale, Father William, a hearty old man. "'Now tell me the reason, I pray.' "'In the days of my youth,' Father William replied, "'I remembered that youth would fly fast, "'and abused not my health and my vigour at first, "'that I never might need them at last.' "'You are old, Father William,' the young man cried, "'and pleasures with youth pass away. "'And yet you lament not the days that are gone. "'Now tell me the reason, I pray.' "'In the days of my youth,' Father William replied, "'I remembered that youth could not last. "'I thought of the future, whatever I did, "'that I never might grieve for the past. "'You are old, Father William,' the young man cried, "'and life must be hastening away.' You are cheerful, and love to converse upon death. Now tell me the reason, I pray. I am cheerful, young man, Father William replied. Let the cause thy attention engage. In the days of my youth I remembered my God, and he hath not forgotten my age. Robert Southey The Duchess's Song to the Pig Baby Speak roughly to your little boy, and beat him when he sneezes is an absurdity in itself, but a much greater one when contrasted with its serious parallel. There is evidently some uncertainty as to the author of this poem, for it occasionally appears as anonymous, but is generally credited as below. Speak Gently Speak gently, it is better far to rule by love than fear. Speak gently, let no harsh word mar the good we may do here. Speak gently to the little child, its love be sure to gain, teach it in accents soft and mild, it may not long remain. Speak gently to the young, for they will have enough to bear, pass through this life as best they may, tis full of anxious care. Speak gently to the aged one, grieve not the careworn heart, whose sands of life are nearly run, let such in peace depart. Speak gently, kindly, to the poor, let no harsh tone be heard, they have enough they must endure, without an unkind word. Speak gently to the erring, no, they must have toiled in vain, perchance unkindness made them so, oh, win them back again. Speak gently, love doth whisper low the vows that true hearts bind, and gently friendship's accents flow, affection's voice is kind. Speak gently. Tis a little thing, dropped in the heart's deep well, The good, the joy, that it may bring, Eternity shall tell. G. W. Langford Twinkle, twinkle, little bat, which the hatter said that he sang at the concert given by the Queen of Hearts, is the most familiarly suggestive of them all. Jane and Anne Taylor were two English sisters, who wrote together, publishing their poems under such titles as Original Poems for Infant Minds, and Hymns for Infant Minds. Jane was supposed to have written most of them, and this one carries her signature. The Star Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. When the blazing sun is gone, when he nothing shines upon, then you show your little light, twinkle, twinkle, all the night. Then the traveller in the dark thanks you for your tiny spark. He could not see which way to go, if you did not twinkle so. 
in the dark blue sky you keep and often through my curtains peep for you never shut your eye till the sun is in the sky as your bright and tiny spark lights the traveller in the dark though i know not what you are twinkle twinkle little star jane taylor mary howitt wrote the spider and the fly the first stanza of which originally read will you walk into my parlour said the spider to the fly tis the prettiest little parlour that you ever did spy the way into my parlour is up a winding stair and i've got many curious things to show you when you are there oh no no said the little fly to ask me is in vain for who goes up your winding stair can ne'er come down again this poem has suffered various modifications and several versions appear in print but the quoted stanza is doubtless from the original one the beat of the meter is very perfectly kept in the mock turtles will you walk a little faster tis the voice of the lobster which alice repeats at the gruff order of the griffin returns to isaac watts probably no poem in the book is further removed from modern thought and modern literary ideals than this one the sluggard tis the voice of the sluggard i heard him complain you have waked me too soon i must slumber again as the door on its hinges so he on his bed turns his sides and his shoulders and his heavy head a little more sleep and a little more slumber thus he wastes half his days and his hours without number and when he gets up he sits folding his hands or walks about sauntering or trifling he stands i passed by his garden and saw the wild briar the thorn and the thistle grow broader and higher the clothes that hung on him are turning to rags and his money still wastes till he starves or he begs i made him a visit still hoping to find that he took better care for improving his mind he told me his dreams talked of eating and drinking but he scarce reads his bible and never loves thinking said i then to my heart here's a lesson for me this man's but a picture of what i might be but thanks to my friends for their care in my breeding who taught me betimes to love working and reading beautiful soup is a very funny parody upon a popular song of the time and runs as follows star of the evening beautiful star in heaven so bright softly falls thy silvery light as thou movest from earth afar star of the evening beautiful star chorus beautiful star beautiful star star of the evening beautiful star in fancy's eye thou seem'st to say follow me come from earth away upward thy spirit's pinions try to realms of love beyond the sky shine on o star of love divine and may our soul's affection twine around thee as thou movest far star of the twilight beautiful star james m sale the most delightful part of the parody is the division of the words in the refrain in imitation of the approved method of singing the song with its holds and its sentimental stress upon the last word beautiful soup beautiful soup soup of the evening beautiful beautiful soup 
The poem upon which the last parody is based is not as well known as most of the others, the first two lines being the only ones often quoted. Alice Gray She's all my fancy painted her, she's lovely, she's divine, but her heart it is another's, she never can be mine. Yet loved I, as man never loved, a love without decay, oh, my heart, my heart is breaking, for the love of Alice Gray. Her dark brown hair is braided, o'er a brow of spotless white, her soft blue eye now languishes, now flashes with delight. Her hair is braided not for me, the eye is turned away, yet my heart, my heart is breaking for the love of Alice Gray. I've sunk beneath the summer sun and trembled in the blast, but my pilgrimage is nearly done, the weary conflict's past, and when the green sod wraps my grave, may pity haply say, Oh, his heart, his heart is broken for the love of Alice Gray. William Me. Carol's first writing followed the wording in the original first stanza, and began, She's all my fancy painted him, I make no idle boast, if he or you had lost a limb, which would have suffered most? But for some unknown reason he dropped the first stanza, beginning with the second, thus obliterating all evident resemblance between parody and original. The parody is not the highest form of wit, and not the most skilful form of verse, but Lewis Carroll has done these eight so well that doubtless some of them will live after the originals are forgotten. Even now, in order to search them out, it has been necessary to beat the dust from many a forgotten volume in a library's unmolested corners, but the nonsense rhymes they suggested are jingling upon the tongues of children the wide world over, and mingling with their happy laughter. End of The Poems in Alice in Wonderland by Florence Milner Read by Kara Schallenberg www.kray.org March 2010 in San Diego, California